0: Welcome to The Last Month at the Federal Circuit, a look at recent Federal Circuit decisions impacting the intellectual property community. Finnegan partner Dory Hines joins us now to offer insight into a recently decided case that had very different opinions on how previous Supreme Court rulings should guide the decision. Dory, the case we're going to be looking at today is Athena Diagnostics, Inc. versus Mayo Collaborative Services. Can you offer some background on the case?
1: The Athena decision that issued in July is on a petition for rehearing in bank. There's an earlier panel decision and that issued in February of 2019. So the background really comes from there. And in that original panel decision, Judge Lori wrote the majority decision and Judge Newman was in dissent. And the issue came to the court on a motion to dismiss the complaint under rule 12 B six for patent ineligibility under Section 101. Now, the patentee here, or the exclusive licensee, rather, Athena, has patent claims directed to methods for diagnosing neurological disorders, and that's done by detecting antibodies to a certain protein. And Athena sued Mayo after Mayo developed some competing tests. So the federal circuit was first addressing whether the district court properly dismissed Athena's complaint for patent ineligibility under Section 101. And Judge Lurie framed the issue as being that laws of nature are not patentable, but applications of such laws may be patentable, citing Supreme Court precedent, Deer and Fluke. And here was where the, the issue really was. Adding conventional steps specified at a high level of generality to a law of nature does not make a claim to that law of nature patentable. Relying on later Supreme Court precedent, in mayo the law of nature here was described by judge lory as the correlation between naturally occurring antibodies and certain neurological diseases and the additional steps in the claim applied only conventional techniques to detect that natural law and the panel majority decision relied heavily on the specification confirming that that those were conventional techniques So the conclusion was the claims are directed to a natural law because they recite only the natural law together with standard techniques for observing it. Judge Newman was in dissent, and the thrust of her dissent was the requirement to consider the claim as a whole, and her view is that that requirement of looking at claims as a whole was not changed by the Supreme Court decision in Mayo, the Supreme Court decision in Alice, and that protocol set out there of searching for an inventive concept within a claim that is directed to a law of nature or an abstract idea. So in Judge Newman's view, it was incorrect to excise from the claims any steps that are conventional. And in her view, that is what the majority did and Judge Laurie said was appropriate to do. Judge Newman drew a distinction between scientific knowledge on the one hand and its technical application scientific knowledge not being patent eligible, but the technological application of scientific knowledge being patent eligible. And in Judge Newman's view, the error committed by the majority was excising separate procedures that are deemed to be conventional. And that is irrelevant when you should be considering the method as a whole as a new method and relying heavily on Supreme Court precedent and Deer and the admonition there by the Supreme Court that it's inappropriate to dissect the claims into new and old elements and to ignore the presence of old elements in the analysis. Judge Newman set out that Section 101 doesn't turn on whether any steps are standard technology. Instead, the appropriate analysis for considering whether process steps are conventional are Sections 102, Anticipation or Obviousness, Section 103, not Section 101. So we have this panel decision in February 2019 with Judge Laurie in in majority decision joined by Judge Stoll and with Judge Newman in dissent. Athena files a petition for rehearing and rehearing in bank, and the decision that issued in July was on that issue. And here, in this decision, the petition for rehearing in bank is denied, and the vote is seven to five. Seven judges would not grant the petition and five would, and there are eight separate opinions representing the disparate views of the court.
0: It seems that the judges essentially agreed that the precedent from the Supreme Court is problematic, but the 7-5 split indicates that there were varying opinions on what should happen next. Tell us more.
1: All the judges, through eight separate opinions, seem to agree that the Supreme Court precedent is problematic, and through those varying opinions, the question seems to be whether the earlier Supreme Court decision in Mayo, the earlier Supreme Court decision in Alice, changed the earlier law, for example, in Deer and Fluke. All opinions express some desire for the Supreme Court or Congress to act, and the five judges in the minority believes the court and bank should act first before sending the case to either the Supreme Court or seeking congressional review. A fundamental disagreement is whether earlier Supreme Court precedent is distinguishable in this case. That is, does the earlier Mayo Supreme Court decision mandate the result here? And those in the majority denying rehearing in bank believe it is, and those in the minority believe it is not. And another subsidiary question is the Federal Circuit's interpretation or, as some would view it, expansion of Mayo incorrect. And that's a consistent theme through the various opinions, throughout the various eight opinions issued by the Federal Circuit.
0: Why did the majority feel that they were bound by precedent?
1: Well, let's look through some of what the various opinions said. Now there are four opinions issued by judges that were in the majority in denying rehearing in bank. The first decision issued by Judge Lori, who was the author judge in the panel decision. He's joined by Judge Reyna and Judge Chen and in his view the in-bank Federal Circuit could accomplish little by rehearing because the court is bound by the Supreme Court's decision in Mayo, and as he said, the court has already expressed its concerns with respect to the outcome, with respect to diagnostic patents. So, according to Judge Lory, Mayo Supreme Court decision requires that claims for detecting new and useful natural laws with conventional steps are ineligible. It's just to Judge Laurie, as simple as that. He does distinguish those types of diagnostic claims from methods of treatment, saying that those are different and more likely patent eligible, as well as distinguishing software and saying, we're not dealing with software here, we are specifically in the realm of diagnostic patents. So the analysis under Alice with respect to software patents or computer-implemented inventions is not relevant. Judge Hughes issued a separate opinion joined by Judge Prost and Judge Toronto, and he expressed the issue as fraught, and that there's nothing the court can do, and they need to look to the Supreme Court or Congress. The bottom line for diagnostic patents, according to Judge Hughes, is problematic, but it's not a problem that the Federal Circuit can solve. Judge Dyke issued a separate decision, joined by Judge Hughes and in part by Judge Chen. And he, too, uh, similar but more expansively to what Judge Lurie said, distinguished Alice from Mayo and said, look, we're not in the software realm here, we're specifically in the area of diagnostic patents, and he says patent eligibility should leave room for sufficiently specific diagnostic patents and that this case could provide the Supreme Court with the opportunity to refine the test for diagnostic patents. So in his analysis, there is no room for the Federal Circuit to do that because the Supreme Court has already spoken. He argues the Mayo Framework should be refined and that specific applications of natural law should be allowed or should be patent eligible, and it goes further than that and, and indicates that certain claims of the Athena patent, Claim 729, should be eligible. And the issue for Judge Dyke, as with the others in the majority, is their hands are tied, or they feel their hands are tied by Mayo, and what they view as a broad, fairly sweeping decision there with respect to diagnostic claims. Judge Chen, also in the majority, wrote for himself. He, too, expressed the view that certain claims of Athena's patents would likely be eligible under Deer. So he's looking at the older Supreme Court precedent, but, again, feels that law was changed by the Supreme Court's decision in Mayo with respect to diagnostic patents and the issue of conventional elements in a diagnostic patent claim. He says it's not the inferior court's role to dodge recent Supreme Court direction, which, in his view, is from Mayo.
0: And for the dissenting judges, why did they feel actionable next steps could be taken?
1: Well, if we look at Judge Moore's decision, for example, she wrote a decision in which Judge O'Malley, Judge Wallach, and Judge Stoll joined, and she starts out with a a fundamental premise saying this is not a case in which the judges disagree over whether diagnostic claims should be eligible, because everyone seems to agree that if claimed a certain way or with enough specificity, they should be. The difference is whether the Supreme Court precedent in Mayo requires this outcome. She points out that the majority thinks Mayo ties its hands and says, I believe Mayo does not. And she goes through a extensive analysis of the claims in Athena and distinguishes them from the claims in Mayo. But she also points out, in her view, that the Federal Circuit has turned Mayo into a per se rule that diagnostic kits and diagnostic methods are ineligible. She says that's contrary to Mayo itself. And she also points out that it's contrary to repeated invocations of the Supreme Court to avoid rigid and per se rules. And cites a number of cases in which the Supreme Court has taken or accepted certiorari to review patent cases where it can be argued that the federal circuit has adopted a rigid or per se rule. So it seems she is framing the issue in a way that the Supreme Court has in the past accepted cases for its review. She talks at length about the importance of diagnostics to medical technology and also that the application of a law of nature may well be deserving of patent protection, going back again to the Supreme Court precedent in Deere. And in her view that by not taking the case in bank, the federal circuit is ignoring what she calls the legal space between a natural phenomena and the application of such phenomena. She goes through a fairly lengthy analysis of looking at the Athena claims. Judge Moore distinguishes Athena's claims by stating they require the use of specific laboratory techniques to diagnose a patient based on a natural law that 20% of people have a certain condition and they produce antibodies to a certain protein. According to Judge Moore, these claims recite concrete steps to detect the presence of autoantibodies and that those antibodies had not been used before. So for Judge Moore's analysis, it was important that there was something new or novel that had not been done before with respect to this specific diagnostic methodology. She contrasts that with Mayo what she characterizes as a generic determining step with no lab test at all specified in the claims. In Mayo, the step was routine and had been performed before, as contrasted with Athena, where certain antibodies had not been used before. She concludes there was a new and useful process and that that should have been patent eligible. Judge Newman, as she did in her dissent to the panel decision, states that the majority is using a flawed interpretation of Mayo and has mistakenly enlarged the Supreme Court's holding. And Judge Newman says the claim must be considered as a whole, and that novelty, Section 102, has no relevance when considering Section 101. So it is this distinction between the views of the minority, whereas Judge Moore does a very thoughtful analysis of the distinctions between the claims in Athena and Mayo Judge Newman says novelty is of no relevance, so the view of Judge Moore and looking at antibodies that had not been used before in this type of diagnostic testing was unimportant to the analysis of Judge Newman. Judge Newman takes issue with the majority statement that, quote, we have since confirmed that applying somewhat specific yet conventional techniques To detect a newly discovered natural law does not confer eligibility under Section 101 and says the appropriate analysis is under different sections of the Patent Act, 102, 103, or 112, not 101. Judge Stoll also wrote a dissenting opinion. She was joined by Judge Wallach. She was in the majority in the panel decision. In her view, the precedent, particularly Mayo from the Supreme Court, created a bright-line rule, but it's an overreaching and flawed test for eligibility, and that the Federal Circuit and bank should take the opportunity to correct it. Judge Stoll went on to say she stood by the panel decision, but given the exceptional importance of the question, it warranted consideration by the entire court. And finally, Judge O'Malley wrote in dissent as well and wrote separately. An important part of the analysis under section 101 and the law as it's developed through Mayo and Alice and that is the idea of inventive concept she called that a baffling standard and judge O'Malley calls on Congress to amend the Patent Act once more to clarify that it meant what it said in 1952 she goes back to pre-1952 where the concept of invention was rejected in the 1952 Act. And according to Judge O'Malley, she said it's now been replaced with the ill-defined and judicially created invention requirement. And calls on Congress to amend, clarify the Patent Act to state that an inventive concept should not be read into the statute, into Section 101.
0: And finally, Dory, how likely is it that this case will be taken up by the Supreme Court?
1: It's fairly likely, given the importance of the issue, given the repeated requests by the judges on the Federal Circuit to the Supreme Court asking for guidance on this issue. I suspect there will be amicus that are urging the same for the court to take the issue up and to provide clarity in what all Federal Circuit judges seem to agree is an important area of technological development that could benefit from the Supreme Court's guidance. So in terms of cases of... Importance, both legally, and I think there are many who agree that the area of law under Section 101 is one of the biggest patent law issues now, as well as technologically and the effect on technological development, both of those areas suggest that this would be a good opportunity for the court to take the case up, in addition to the fact that the issues have clearly been briefed and are ripe in that respect for Supreme Court review.
0: Our guest has been Dory Hines, a partner at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.